Shalom and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm Mary Manzavin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dan Seligson, and special guests, Ashley Jacobs and Kali Foxman. Hi, team. Hi. Hey, Miriam. Hey, Miriam. Or never Midge. Never Midge. Never Midge. I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, never call me Midge. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel Season 3, which dropped earlier this month on Amazon Prime Video. We binged all eight episodes, so this podcast will be full of spoilers. If you haven't yet watched or finished the new season, please bookmark the podcast and come back later. Consider yourselves warned. We should also note that we did dress up to record this podcast, but because this is a podcast, you can't see us. Dan is dressed very convincingly as Susie in season two, right, Dan? Yeah, and I got a plunger. Complete with the plunger she walks around with in the Catskills. The three of us ladies are dressed as Midge herself with hats, gloves, and pearls. It makes us feel very fancy, don't you think? For sure. A little bit, a mix of awkward and fancy, I would mm. say. I feel like we should be drinking tea or martinis or eating brisket. I would think, yeah, I would do a little cigarette smoking and whatever else foul things they did in the early 60s. Not that we, we condone, condone cigarettes. Smoking. Oh, we hate smoking. We Just hate for smoking. cinematic it's the most purposes. Foul part of the show. We do like brisket. Yes. Well, three of us. No, <laughs> four of us. Oh, okay. I love brisket. We all love brisket. <laughs> the show was just nominated for two Golden Globe Awards, Best Television Series, Musical, or Comedy, and Best Performance by an Actress in a Television Series, Musical, or Comedy, for leading lady Rachel Brosnahan, who plays Midge Maisel. The winners will be announced in February. The show has received seven Golden Globe nominations and three wins since it premiered in 2017, in addition to many other awards. Basically, this show is incredibly critically acclaimed. I think Susie always deserves a nomination. She learned to swim this season after all. Amen. <laughs> That's true. Okay, let's begin, shall we? What did we all... Think of season three. What are our first impressions? I loved it. As with every season of the show so far, it was a little touch and go in the beginning, but I think it really picked up its pace. I thought there were some very beautiful moments and I can't wait to dig into it more. I agree. I thought it felt like a little slow in the beginning for me. Then it picked up and I really enjoyed the latter half of the season a lot. Um, I mean, I feel like the show is always super optimistic. And like as the season went on, there were some more real and darker moments. Yeah, I agree. So I watch a lot of shows that are pretty dark, honestly. And to see the show, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's not stressful to watch and all that other stuff. And then... Bam, reality crept in in season three. There were times when the show was really profoundly upsetting. I had to at one point text Miriam and say, is this going to happen? Is this really going to happen in this episode? And she's like, just wait. <laughs> and uh, it, it was tough. But I thought overall an excellent season. And it's about time that it began to address some of the social ills that were so rife during that time period. Yeah, I agree. That is something that I did appreciate about this season as opposed to the previous two. Um, there were more characters of color represented on screen, particularly with the character of Shy Baldwin, Reggie, his manager, May, Joel's new girlfriend. For inexplicable reasons, he has a new girlfriend. Um, Joel should be single forever. Uh, so I really did appreciate that there were more. Uh, there was more representation um, of different demographics on screen. It still bothered the 
heck out of me that Midge herself is so inept when it comes to understanding um, the social dynamics of race in her time and even of being Jewish in her time. Um, I'm not exactly sure why the show has her be so completely just unable to see the things that are happening around her, but at least they pointed it out to the audience. I did appreciate that. She's. Well, I have a theory about her, Yes. which is that she goes from the Upper West Side to the Catskills, occasionally to South Florida, back to Manhattan. Like, what does she see besides insular Jewish communities that have, you know, are very, uh, have very much arrived in these places? These are their places. And it doesn't seem like she's wandered much beyond that world. She's definitely lived a sheltered life, but I also feel like she feels like the world revolves around her. So there is this kind of insane level of self-absorption, self-centeredness. Like she's not capable of seeing beyond herself and her own privilege. Yes, exactly. I was going to say to another kind of diversity that we've seen throughout the series, especially through the character of Susie is uh, economic status as well. Mm -hmm. And Susie gets into a world of trouble with gambling, which we can get into later. But the Weissman family and Mitch herself, you know, Abe gets fired. They lose their gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous apartment. They have to move in with their who they hate. <laughs> Those horrific people. Yeah. And Moish. And you who know, apparently never wears pants. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just so it's devastating for them. And then it gives Moish, and I always forget the mother's name. Oh, God. I just, I always I just cry whenever I see her. She's or so hear funny. Her voice. Moish. And Shirley. 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 Of course, okay. it's Shirley. Shirley, who keeps Matsumil in her purse. <laughs> One of my favorite moments from season two. <laughs> Shirley actually smokes while she eats, hence and that, that voice. Disgusting. That voice, yeah, which is. Oh yeah, uh, she does have a fry issue. Um, uh, yes, this season, but we do see a lot of change, as you mentioned, Ashley, going on this season in terms of their economic position and like where they live. So the Weissmans do <laughs> are going through a bit of financial difficulty and a struggle. They have to give up their gorgeous apartment. Midge herself is on the road. So she's exposed to a whole new set of, of people and um places that she's never experienced before. And I do think it is eye-opening to her to some degree, but not as much as I kind of expected it to be. So in season three, she goes on tour with Shy Baldwin, who is a black singer and his band. So she's the opening act. And while they start off in Vegas, and that's where the gambling really gets good, um, they also travel around to different places, including, I believe it's Florida. And at some point, uh, Shy tells Mitch that the black members of the band aren't actually staying in the hotel with her and the hotel they're performing at because they're not allowed to because they're black. And this has never occurred to Midge. So I found it like informative in the sense that somebody has to say this. We have to say it in the episode so people know, oh, yeah. And also, so Midge is the, the kind of idiot who has to be taught this. But I did find it rather shocking that we never saw any indication that she receives any blowback because of her, um, the Jewish content of her performance. And she does tone it down a bit for the road, but it seems rather implausible to me that a Jewish woman could be on tour talking about Jewish things and never have anybody say anything anti-Semitic 
to her or heckle her from the audience. Did you guys feel that was a bit weird or inauthentic? I thought that Reggie might have mentioned something about that right before she performs at the Apollo. Yes, in yes. Episode, I think it's episode eight, where he says, you know, your discussion of borscht or whatever else, it's not going to go over here. You need to talk about what they know. Uh, so maybe that's a way of kind of heading off that issue or just saying, if you want to be funny, you better stick to things that people can relate to. But I think what she tries to do on the on stage is to um, talk about Jewish stereotypes and Jewish things that she believes that any audience can relate mm, to. Yes. She doesn't really get too deep into the reads of Judaism. She just kind of talks about the stuff that the, the stereotypes that are out there, the stereotypes she, she that bother me so confirming deeply them and bothered that truck so deeply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She really leans into those stereotypes. Oh, that's her, that's her trademark. But back to what Ashley was saying about Susie, like that was really mm-hmm. sad actually that yeah. she's basically on the verge of homelessness and is impoverished and she's working for Midge who basically has everything she needs. And it is sad that she turns to gambling to try to bridge that gap because she's making like, she made $20 off of Midge. I think she had said something in the previous year and is making 10% of what she would get on this tour. Just like Kris Jenner, she makes 10%. Well, agents typically make 10% nowadays and then managers make anywhere between 15 and 20. Sorry, geeking out. Yeah, but important, important to know. It is important because that changes. Yeah. Um, but Midge seems totally on. oblivious to Susie's situation and the fact that Susie's like livelihood is literally dependent on Midge's success. I think Midge is in some ways almost sociopathic in her inability to have empathy for others, even when her son goes up to her and says, you know, She's lost. My, my sister's gone. Lost. And she's like, whatever, I don't care. No, she's not. You'll find her. Yeah. But anything that happens to anyone else, she seems to have no recognition of their pain or something happening to them. And it all comes to a head at some point. It, it's In some ways, it was upsetting and disturbing. In some ways, it was satisfying yeah. that at one point in this season, her inability to feel for others really comes to a head. Mm-hmm. And she is confronted with it in a very very uh, difficult and jarring way. Well, that's why it bothered me so much that she was so mad at Susie for taking on another client, which is something managers do all the time because usually they don't survive with just one client. And she really was so hard on her and that that demonstrated her self-centeredness. But then also when she went up to Susie, I think somebody said something to her. Maybe it was Reggie or someone and, and Midge really began to realize that Oh, wow. I think it was, was it a conversation with, not with, um, Oh, it was the tiny blonde. Yes. The, the, the tiny blonde. Yes. Yes. Her friend. Yes. Yeah. Who's, who's one of the only other white people on tour with them. Um, no, wait. Um, Imogene. No, wait. Imogene. Oh, it was Imogene. Imogene. In the yeah, exercise Imogene. class. Yes. yes. They were talking, they went to a hilarious exercise oh class. Oh my God. With their, oh my God. So funny. It, <laughs> One of the best, most ridiculous things about this show is those hula hoops. Hula hoops and the little <laughs> swiveling. The, oh yeah. my God. Um, but then, you know, Midge is really upset because she hates Sophie <laughs> Lennon. Sophie Lennon. Thank you. She With hates that on Sophie. Your plate. <laughs> <laughs> so much. But then she, you know, 
sees Susie and they sit on a stoop together and they share a drink and Mitch is like, I want you to have the big apartment in the city. I want you to have X. I want you to have Y. And then that was a, a really beautiful moment of them coming together. But then another episode or another moment where Midge is oddly empathetic, because I agree it's something that we hardly ever see, is when Shy has been attacked yeah. by somebody and it takes her a while to realize that Shy is in fact gay. He's coming out to her and he's bleeding. And she, that in that episode, she covers for him. She has his back. She, you know, wipes the blood off his face, gets him all patched up and ready to go and then covers his, covers him to Reggie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was indicative of her ability to be sensitive and, and like when, when it finally, when people finally explain things that are obvious to her, then she can be sensitive, but it's, it's not, doesn't really occur to her very easily. These things she has to be explained to, but then she turned right around and used that against him. So it's like when it serves her, yes, she doesn't be discreet. Right. And then when it serves her to, have a funny act, she will use the material. And another place where her inability to feel empathy for somebody is shown in the show is when we see Benjamin again. We see Mm. Benjamin, the best. Okay, he was the doctor she was briefly engaged to in season two and who she abandoned via letter um, Mm -hmm. to go on tour with Shy. But she's confronted by Benjamin this time because Rose keeps showing up at his workplace while he's trying to do some surgery to set him up with other people. But it turns out that she just left him. She wrote him a letter and said, sorry, I have to go on tour with Shai Baldwin. But he actually would have been fine with that. Mm -hmm. But she never asked. She never thought, oh, I guess he might be okay with me doing this as a career. She just made assumptions. She did the whole conversation in her mind about how it would go and then just decided. She makes assumptions. That's why we should break up. And, and doesn't realize the effect her assumption-based actions will later have on people. Mm-hmm. I thought that uh, Rose's journey in this Rose. season is particularly fascinating. Yes. I really, uh, to see her go home to Providence and then find out that Providence is not in Rhode Island <laughs> and the, the family board meeting. I think it was and, Oklahoma, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, it was Oklahoma, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was just really fascinating. She Every season she has to go through a thing, like mm-hmm. she had her Paris thing and now she has her trip home. And her, So she makes a decision to go to Providence to meet with her family to talk about her share of the family trust. And when she's confronted by the way that this trust is run and who runs it and she sees that there's an 11-year-old little prick who basically <laughs> has a vote and she doesn't. Well, because he's a man. He's, well, oh, he's not quote a Quote, unquote. He's a mensch. He's oh, a right. boy. Uh, <laughs> She's so horrified that she decides she's going to cut off uh, her ties and remove herself from the trust. And she makes this amazingly bold step for someone who, like Midge, is very sheltered and, you know, coddled and spoiled. And, and it was just a it was a huge moment for her. This was Rose's season three journey. I really enjoyed Abe's journey this season, too. It's funny because both of them said to Mitch oh, before you became a comic, we were happy with the way things are. And now we're questioning our reality and questioning our lives. And it's just so funny that the um, impact that Midge has had is making them pursue a different avenue of things like with, with Rose. And then with Abe this season, he thinks that he's doing something big and bold and wants to change the world. And then 
you know, Midge is like, go see Lenny Bruce because he's actually out there and we should talk about Lenny in a, later. My beloved. Mine too. I love Abe. I love Abe and his mustache. Yeah. So Rose, she like basically yells at Midge me like, it's your fault that I'm standing up for myself. Like <laughs> it's you. So like Midge like has basically woken her family up a little bit. And um, I think they realized they actually were not happy with the way things were before. I think Abe is trying to find something that he feels like brings more meaning to his life. And I think it's hilarious when he goes back to the college where he used to teach and he's like, hi boys. And, um, seeing all his traumatized students. Like, yeah. You all deserve to be here. Except, except for six you, of you. you, and, you. <laughs> and of course, all of, so great. he's like, what are you guys doing differently? Oh, we're sleeping. We're eating. Yeah. <laughs> we're taking care of ourselves. Nobody's yelling at us. Your yeah. acne went away. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Fantastic. And he's like, yeah. he's having a moment where he's like, yeah, that, this wasn't enough. Like I, I want to do more. Yeah. After he gets arrested for standing up for Lenny and a, in a comedy club and he and Lenny go to jail together and are both bailed out um, by Rose. Um, he goes on this journey. Abe goes on this journey where he decides to like start a communist newspaper with a bunch of youth he met. And, and <laughs> he's just riddled. The apartment is just riddled with like, uh, you know, these kids just lying around. I mean, like college and using students. Zelda for using all their Zelda, own Zelda. So even though they're communist and they're like the workers, you know, they they still boss around Zelda, the servant, the cook. Um, just like you can do this, but after you Zelda, after you've gotten me the coffee, yeah. and I think it's a very funny skewering of of that and how at the end of the day, Abe can't deal with this because they can't spell their newspaper that they want to produce is huge and without any sort of editing, and he just, there's limits to what Abe can tolerate in revolution. Mm -hmm. But I did enjoy it. Yeah, and that, and then at the end, he sort of becomes a theater critic, I guess, which is, yeah. seems yeah. kind of random, but okay. <laughs> Handing and then, out copies of the Times at the Briss. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I wrote an article. I wrote an <laughs> op-ed, <laughs> Times published it, blah, blah, blah. And then he comes home, he's yeah. like, somebody threw, <laughs> somebody threw tomatoes at me. And he's just so happy. You know, I, one time Al Jazeera got mad at me or somebody on Al Jazeera got mad at me because of an image I made um, for a previous employment. And I was like so proud. And I think that I felt, I was like, oh yes. Sometimes when somebody you don't get along with or you disagree with tells you that they hate you, you, you feel great. And I think that's what Abe was, Abe was feeling. He's like, yes, I have made it. I have made somebody mad enough to affirmed. throw- Yes, to he throw ripe friend. tomatoes, not even rotten ones. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> delicious like, tomatoes. Delicious tomatoes <laughs> thrown at him. And he was just quelling. He was glowing. He had, this was like the best thing um, that had happened to him in recent memory. And it's nice to see him be so happy. So I think we need to talk about another character's journey. The worst character of all time. Joel. 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 I don't hate him as much ah, as they tried you to make him less hateable him. this season. Yeah. Like I, I, I am still resentful for what he did, but I think in the end, Midge wasn't actually happy in their life. Like, right. I don't think they were like ready to have kids when they did. And like, she can keep blaming him for the fact that he left but really it gave her the career that she secretly wanted. Yeah. But they he had a still very weird sucks. Fight. They had a really weird fight. Mm -hmm. So they had spent the night together and she wanted to know why he didn't call. And he said, why would I have called? 
And they had this kind of back and forth about what, what that night meant to them and what was happening. And he was unable to acknowledge what had happened, but she wanted to talk about it. And I don't know if that was because she wanted them to get back together because what had happened the night before was something that had to never happen again. I'm not really sure, but this fight was very central to that episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Because I think it showed Maisel. I think it showed Mitch that Joel isn't hung up on her. Yeah. That she's no longer the center of his world that the, you know, looking at Imogene and Archie, her friends, you know, they're so interdependent, but also really on top of each other. Imogene. Imogene and Lesson Secretary stands up and, you know, Mm -hmm. as an independent thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, I just thought it was really interesting. And then she goes to, you know, Joel's club that just opened and she meets Joel's girlfriend and they have a very beautiful bonding moment. And then she goes up on stage and thanks him for being a wonderful father and, it's just so interesting. I do think that Joel evolved over the seasons in the sense that what made me upset with him before is that he really couldn't see um, supporting his wife having a career. And then he evolves to the point that he is actually extremely supportive of her pursuing this as a career and being the primary caretaker for their kids, which is uh, almost unheard of for that period in time. Doesn't seem like it's that much work. <laughs> well, they do have four no grandparents. Really <laughs> also, something interesting to note is that Midge has the career that Joel wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was dreaming of being a comic, and she took the spotlight from him. And he doesn't seem to be remorse. He doesn't seem to be resentful of that at all. Right. He's I like, mean, I'm going to try to find my own thing. But I want to go back to Joel's new girlfriend, mm-hmm. who is a, a character named May. She's Chinese um, because the club that he opens is in Chinatown. And there's some very interesting uh, stuff that happens around that and some annoying stuff that happens around that um, because this show does nothing if not stereotype. But um, May is going to be a doctor, which at that time was also mm-hmm. pretty unheard of. Mm-hmm. And Joel initially has an issue with her because she helps him get a liquor license for the club and he gets pissed at her because he needs to do this by himself because Mm -hmm. he really is bothered deep down at being second fiddle to a woman, either Midge or in this case, in this case, May. And although they reconcile and May seems to forgive him inexplicably about this, um, in when Midge and May meet and Joel is like, off screen dealing with something else, May goes, I'm going to be a doctor. And Midge goes, I'm going to play the Apollo. Mm-hmm. So there's this little like pissing contest between them. Mm-hmm. But also we're looking, we're seeing these two very accomplished women. And what do they have in common? This schmuck. <laughs> so again, this show keeps throwing these amazing women at Joel. And I don't know why. Meanwhile, can someone um, get what's his face? A girlfriend, Benjamin? I mean, Rose is trying. Rose Rose is is trying. trying. But like, I don't think Benjamin would have been upset about her having a career. He would have been fine. Right. No, but I don't think that they were compatible romantically because Midge went into it very... Midgley. Yeah, very Midgley. Like it was was forced upon her. And then she was like, oh, like this really isn't that bad. We get along. Fair enough. He doesn't, like Benjamin doesn't seem to be super hung up until Rose comes in and starts 
making a big deal about it. He yeah. seems fine. But I it's do like, fault. I love, I love that scene and felt like, yes, he finally gets to say what he actually is entitled to say. Yeah. Like you hurt me. Like, like I could have been supportive for you. And then he's like, what tall people don't get mad. Tall people. Like, <laughs> that he was, was like, very mad. funny, a very, yeah. very yeah. funny tall, scene. Tall people are allowed to get mad too, yeah. but we scare people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, can't, he can't exhibit his anger because people will freak out because yeah. he's so tall. But he is upset. Yeah. And I'm glad he he got his moment to say that to her face because she really needed to hear it. And yeah. he deserved to say it. Now, my favorite journey on the show was really not addressed. And my favorite character barely got any screen time. Astrid, wherever you Astrid, are. Astrid! The the <laughs> know that your story is the spinoff that I want. <laughs> That's the spinoff I want. Astrid had about four minutes of screen time in the entire season, but I felt her menace. I felt Astrid like I felt Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. May not have been on screen much, but Astrid was a thread that was running through my mind throughout the entire show. When is Astrid going to be showing up next? What is she going to say? Is she going to say a thing about carrots at the bris? She did. It was just so excellent to check in with her. I just wanted so much more of her. She is my very favorite Yes. Um, Astrid in the Catskills was the height of the Marvelous Mrs. <laughs> Maisel. Forget every other character. Astrid in the Catskills is what you need to watch if you see nothing else. I did write in my notes, episode seven. Thank God. It's Astrid. She's back to save the show. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> what did we think of the bris scene? So I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that what Dan said, that she only had four minutes of screen time, but in the Catskills, her journey was huge. She was the only one fasting on Tishbab. On Tishbab. Who fasts on Tishbab? It was an important f-ing temple. Right. It was. And, and then meanwhile, she's, you know, trying all of these midwifeian remedies to try to get pregnant. And then she's pregnant and it's she's like, oh touch my belly, touch my belly. And Nobody really wants to. No one cares. And then well, there's a the Jews don't do that. I think that the, yeah. she was just trying to get out of, I think, I think Shirley, Shirley, said, Shirley said it. Shirley was just trying to get out of doing it. I think they just didn't want to touch but her. But again, yeah. that's, that's going after Astrid for her being a Jew by choice. And, and it is a little, yeah, it, it, it is offensive insulting. the way that they treat yeah. her because she's the most Jewish of them all. Mm-hmm. But back to your question, Kali, about the bris. I mean, Abe just used it as a form to be like, my op-ed is in the Times. <laughs> yeah. And they were like taking bets on like who was going to faint first. And then Shirley was like, I've seen funnier moils. And like, right. right. The moil did have a couple of good lines. It was, but. It was pretty awkward. Although that did harken back to the very first scene of the, of the first episode of this season where um, Major arrives at an army base to do a yes. uh, performance for the troops and she's changing backstage and, and Susie's like, okay, here's the jokes you can't say, you know, dick jokes. And then <laughs> just Major sticks her help, head out behind the screen and goes um, something about like, his dick was so big he needed a machete. The royal needed a machete. <laughs> and, and like, so she just went through this litany of jokes and of course it was going to come back into a bris situation with similar jokes from the moil. Um which I thought was pretty funny. But I also noted at that bris, there was a moment where Abe and Midge were actually able to have a brief conversation of some value. And that's when he cautions her. Uh, she's been doing voiceover work in the break of her tour with Shy. So she's been doing just any and all voiceover work for different like products and ads and whatever. And one of them is a political ad for a horrifically anti-Semitic uh female politician. And initially Midge is kind of dismissive. She's like, oh, well, I don't know what's so bad about it. But Abe says, if you're going to have a voice, be careful of what you say. 
And I thought that was really good that someone finally said it to Midge. And it was important to point out because we rarely actually deal with anti-Semitism on this show, which is ironic. But this is one case that Abe took the moment of a family gathering to kind of touch base with Midge and make sure she knew to be careful about what she was using her voice for. Mm -hmm. I think during that time when she was doing all those voiceover ads and such, like she could have been performing, like it kind of confused me that like, although like I liked the episode of like them on the yeah. subway and like going from here to there, et getting paid in tampons. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> I'm like, I need maple syrup, fake maple syrup. Um, that like, she could have been actually like doing stand up during that time just cause she, she was on a break from Shy's tour. Like she could have been doing more. Yeah. I think that the ads for me, um, first of all, it was their chance to do that very hectic. They love doing very oh, hectic, do. quick cut scenes with yeah. music mm -hmm. and beautiful camera work and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But also it was a chance to show that issues were creeping in. The mm -hmm. ads were spectacularly sexist. Oh, yeah. Every yeah. single yes. ad she did was uh -huh. spectacularly sexist. And uh, as she did these ads, nothing seemed to affect her. Susie didn't seem to notice. No one seemed to care because they're yeah. making money. Uh -huh. Finally, Phyllis Schlafly. Making I, tampons. Yeah. Phyllis Schlafly is a real person. Yeah. Uh, uh -huh. Not a blessed memory, but no longer alive. She was a terrible figure at that time. Yeah. And, you know, everybody knew it. So it took some real jarring to make her see, just like it took some real jarring for her to see what she had done wrong mm -hmm. in episode eight. Yeah. Kali, I do want to give you some pushback about Midge's voiceover work versus performing at other venues because what she's doing is work. They, you know, for the first time, Midge is making her own money. Susie is making more money. Um, and Midge really wants her son, Ethan, to go to collegiate on the Upper West Side. And it's this big, huge thing. You know, she doesn't want him to go to a school in Queens. And in order for Ethan to go to school, uh, to go to collegiate, they need to live in the Upper West Side. She needs to be making money. She is saving all of her money. She appeals to her former father-in-law like, hey, you still own the apartment. I'm going to buy it from you at a reduced rate. Thank you so much. She is doing what she has to do to make ends meet. And they get so annoyed when they get paid in tampons and corn syrup. <laughs> she <laughs> had like, no good reason. She had no reason to want her kid to go to collegiate other than she was snobby about the other school. Right. It was a Queens. class thing. It's it like was, a class and thing. The, yes. And the fact that she just literally waltzed into someone else's apartment just because she used <laughs> oh, to live yeah. there. And that woman did not care She's at like, all. Whatever. She's like, here, look around, make yourself at home. I'll just go tend to <laughs> my child screaming in the back. I want to call back to what Dan just said about something about the while the plot line is a little ridiculous, the amazing like camera work sequences that they do, because I, I can criticize a show all the time, but I cannot say anything negative about the cinematography, the timing, the blocking they must do. The first shot where we say, we see Mitch, I should say, they're on that, uh, the USO tour. Um, they pull up, they follow a car as it pulls up with Midge and Susie and they get out and she, and she walks, she has like the walk and talk situations with like a bunch of different officers, gets up on the stage, waves, goes down the other side. Like this whole thing is like five minutes of intricately choreographed. One take. One, One take. fucking take. It and then incredible. there's these, and like that is a skill. And I can give Rachel Brosnahan a lot of crap for not being Jewish, but 
I cannot fault her timing. There's another sequence. I think it's episode six. It starts with like their pan over the water in Florida to like a couple of um, umbrellas on the beach. And then we see Midge asleep. She wakes up on a a beach chair. Mm -hmm. And then there's a bunch of women in the pool doing uh, synchronized. synchronized swimming, they form a, a mag and dove in the water, and then Midge kicks um, a beach, beach ball and it hits them. And that is also one take. I don't know how many takes that must have taken to and take. Some yeah. where the like, camera how do they just, do that? They do these things where the camera in a crowded room just seems to float over objects. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I've noticed this a few times where I don't know what they're using, but they must have this these pulleys it's on remarkable. the wall that just make this thing yes. on a wire float over. Yes. It's the first incredible camera work. When Midge and Susie have that fight, when Susie first tells her, oh, I'm going to be working for Sophie Lennon too. It's a dance sequence. And then Midge keeps popping out a left or mm-hmm. right yeah. frame incredible. and they're swirling around to like save stuff to Susie. These are remarkable, incredible um, shots. The sets are amazing. Oh, like, yeah. What did you think of Vegas in the 60s and, and the costumes. Miami? Like oh. it was Perfect. so cool and, to and watch. They yeah. were flawless. And I, yeah. I'm a person who, when I watch TV, I'm like, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. Yeah. That's a mistake. Absolutely flawless. I mean, I watched, I can't watch Homeland because it makes so many terrible <laughs> continuity mistakes. But when I look at this show, I'm like, I can't find one. It's perfect, I, I, yeah. Sometimes I pause it when they're in like a, you know, <laughs> like Vegas. I'm like, where's the water bottle from, you know, Game of Thrones? Shut up, Dan. Like, I knew you were going to say that. Sorry. It's hurtful. It was, I'm sorry. I'm I sorry. love them in Vegas. But that yeah. was a prank. Should have been something. Right? Yeah, it should have been something. That was like, that's like them in Vegas is like me in Vegas and you're doing the slides. You're like, that, that should have lined up. That should have been something. That, that been. And then they win pennies. Right. Yeah. Oh, we won. We won. But it feels fun. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of, a lot of things. What did we think about uh, Susie's contract negotiation and Midge's ask? You know, like you have to ask for something so they take you seriously. <laughs> so then they get hundreds of these golden teddy bears. Well, Ashley, didn't you once tell me that the reason, yes. like, rider, like the, you know, if somebody's, you're gonna have like a green room with something in it, they ask for like blue M&Ms only to make sure that they've read the contract. Yes, because they know that if they haven't read the contract, then they're not being paying attention to detail, which means that it's not safe. It's probably not secure. Mm. So that's their way of checking everything. But um, in this case, it was that we're was important. the best, right? Like opening and the, the hotel to those door. teddy bears. They were just there the whole time. And the then, whole time like, she was in Vegas. Hopefully, they donated them to I children. I really hope so. Yeah, that would have been cute if, if you know, it just gave those away. But it's it's also just such a. It's not something that you would think Susie would think to include. Well, she didn't think Somebody of it. She, gave she heard her that of it. Advice. And she was like, uh, teddy bears. Well, right. But, but like, why teddy bears? Right. Like teddy bears don't seem like a Susie thing, but we know that Susie actually does have a heart. I shouldn't say yeah. actually, because we know she does, she does, but she, she burns down her late mother's house to get money because she loses all of Midge's. Yeah. She would rather stay in her dirty, cramped subletting of a subletting <laughs> apartment with three people with a privacy curtain, a new privacy curtain instead of a bathroom door. Like she, she would give that all up to save, yeah. to save Mitch. Cause she knows that she messed up. And then she appeals to Joel all sad. And that was just like yeah. heartbreaking. I do she think cried. that uh, yeah, yeah. She, oh, that was tough. That was, that was, that was really tough. tough. Um, but Susie learned so much over the course of this season from yes. that first episode. She's trying to figure out, oh, we have to put a crazy ask in there. <laughs> <laughs> and like, 
And then over the course where she's negotiating with with, with um, Sophie and then she gets her two mobster friends who tried to kill her last season <laughs> to like get the theater for her. She's learning so much on the fly. And, mm-hmm. and at one point Midge takes her aside because Susie's having difficulty managing Sophie, you know, it's tough. Um, and she goes, no, no, she just wants you to be tough on her and be real with her like you are with me. And she is successful in that. It's Sophie's own fault that Sophie's production just flops <laughs> because Sophie like totally torpedoes it. But mm-hmm. it's not Susie's fault. Susie actually mm-hmm. made it work. Impossible though that seemed to open a Broadway production with Sophie Lennon, Susie did it. Mm-hmm. And then she has the courage and the chutzpah to yeah. get in Sophie's face about you messed this up, yeah. not me. It was all on you. Whereas before she would be cowering in fear. Yeah, she would have been. But now she's like, not taking a certain level of crap. And also because I think the stakes are so much higher because the financial stakes are higher, her professional stakes are higher. She's taking it way more seriously. But I think that if she hadn't gone through the trauma that she went through this season, she would not have been there to be able to support Midge in the final scene which is of the season, which is so emotionally mm-hmm. devastating. Oh my mm-hmm. God. And the, the words that Reggie left her with. Yeah. Like you're gonna be where I am one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was maybe just... in season four. Yeah, <laughs> I, was that haunting or was that a good thing that, uh, that you're gonna be right I where know. I am? It I... was a good thing because he worked his ass off and Shai's a an international superstar, mm-hmm. you know. And and he Reggie's been with Shai from the very beginning, helping his career. And Reggie didn't really compliment Mitch that. I mean, he did, but not in a direct way that he would to Susie and. You know, because Susie was kind of vulnerable with him. Reggie saw her break down after uh, she lost a huge bet. You know, she's near tears and she just leaves. And he, Reggie surprised me. Yeah. um, Mm -hmm. Because he seems so strong and then is really just a sweetheart. Although Mm -hmm. Sterling K. Brown was only in this season a brief Mm -hmm. number of scenes, he really did make an impact as Reggie. I thought he was great. Spectacular on the plane. The scene that he had on the plane was (laughs) amazing. So good. Absolutely amazing. He He was a joy. So let's talk about Lenny. I know you both have some thoughts. I mean, he wasn't in it a ton, but he was there. He was there. I would say the chemistry that he and Midge have is like off the chain. I have been on Team Lenny since we first met him. Now we only have approximately five to six years before he is no longer with us. He died Um, young. He's a real person who does die of an overdose. So I'm wondering you know, in season four, like what yeah. year we'll sort of pick up if it'll right. be right after. Um, so th- there's still time. There's still time yeah. for them to but he, have he's a like, fling. He's like the Eliyahu Hanavi of this show. He shows up occasionally when it when he needs to appear. Mm-hmm. So he appears when Abe needs the inspiration to take yes. up the mantle mm-hmm. of, of like free speech, right? And he appears in Florida where he's now quote unquote living um, mm-hmm. to give Midge a pick me up when her parents suddenly appear out of nowhere to, to stay with her because they can't stay with Moish and Shirley because no one can. Um, mm-hmm. And he takes her out at, to like this production he's doing. It's like the Miami after dark weird so whatever. Strange. That was. Such so a weird. Fun show. He brings her on stage or on like camera and it's live and she's like what the hell but and then takes her out to like this really interesting bar club not quite sure um there were bars in the there club were we bars that. In the yes. club. um not quite sure and then they almost maybe sleep together but they don't because she 
blocks away. And I was like, why? But all I want in life, and I've been saying this for a while now, all I want in life is a man to look at me the way Lenny Bruce looks at Midge Maisel. That is literally all With I want. admiration and respect. And respect. <laughs> That's right. That's I, right. But one of my, okay, so, and he's so cute. Oh my God, yes. But when they're looking at each other at the restaurant, they're not saying anything, just no. direct eye contact. And she's just like, you're staring. And he says, you are too. And he was testing the waters from the get-go, you know, bringing her onto the show, being like, she's either my wife or my sister. And just to like play that off and see see what that is. Because they're think, like kindred spirit. They're like soulmates. Mm -hmm. Oh, they totally are. They yeah. totally are. And then, you know, he... He just seems so crestfallen when she asks him one more time what he thought of her set. Mm -hmm. Because he refuses to answer when they first meet up afterwards. And then he's like, great, like we can hang out and talk in a very like non-professional way. Like she, you know, I guess maybe he sees her as equals, whereas she might see him as more of a mentor mm. figure. I was going to say, he, he really does not want to be a mentor. He right. does not think he should be teaching anybody anything. He right. has extremely low self-esteem. You can kind of tell from the way that he carries himself and he's like, I'm a schmuck, blah, blah, you know. Although um, he's the best. He, oh, he he's really incredible, is. but he has no idea how good he is. Yeah. And I think that's something that we found in many famous comedians mm -hmm. is that they are deep down inside, pretty depressed people with very low self-esteem. And these things have often Not manifested Midge. themselves in terrible mm -hmm. things. But I think Lenny Bruce was one of those people who would have never said, I'm, I'm, great. I'm, I'm a fantastic comedian. You know, you should learn from me. He would never say that, but she was learning from him. And he is Jewish, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But a lot of his jokes don't, aren't really super rooted in Thank God. Jewish things, whereas Midge's are. So, he was I mean, pushing the envelope. He just wanted to say the things that no one else would say on stage. That was part of his thing. And that was yeah. what made him so incredible and so brave. And I think that that's portrayed in the show. He was yeah. extremely brave. Yeah. yeah, he really was. I mm -hmm. really think that it speaks to the power of words just in general, because, you know, he sends Mitch some flowers to her parents' apartment. They're like, oh, what is this? Who is this person? And Mitch is like, you have it. Like, you think I'm bad. You think I'm pushing the limits? Go see Lenny Bruce. And Abe goes and he's super reluctant and apprehensive to do it. And then he's just hearing what he's saying. And then the cops come and he's like, no, let him speak. Let him speak. <laughs> and then it just all of just and then he just like snowballs into this huge thing. And it was so, oh my God. So after he gets arrested, isn't it so funny <laughs> when they drop the charges against Abe and Abe is oh, so upset. Right. Like call yes. him back. <laughs> Such an insult. And then he's like, and he checks in with all his youth that he's like, whatever. He's at the house. He's like, can we do, can we protest this week? And they're like, no, I have a thing. I have a thing. We'll definitely protest. We're going to occupy it um, next Thursday, probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I just love how like upset he, Abe was about the charges being dropped. Mm. So funny. And yeah. they're, they're big, they're big newspaper. Like physically a huge newspaper. Yeah. I did just want to mention something real quick about names too, yeah. because we talked about the power of words. We talked about all these different characters, but also names are big. Yeah. Midge has a stage name. She's Mrs. Maisel, even yeah. though she wasn't. And now she kind of is and will soon no longer be. Shy Baldwin is Dwayne. Like his Dwayne. Mm -hmm. um, and in a very vulnerable moment with Midge being compassionate, he reveals that to her. Um, and then the name of this newspaper <laughs> is hidden because they think it's so like 
Did they ever settle on like it's the sixties man as the title, or we don't even know no, what they it, like? On, it was on page three, and it was like title to come, right? Because oh, yeah, it was yeah. the first thing that Abe's looking for. Is he's uh, right. it's the first thing he notices, other than the huge thing is like, what is this? Right. And we've talked before on this podcast with Peter B. Bergall and Jonica Stuckey about the power of names. Can I throw another name at you? Yes. Hi, I am Christian, Christian. Maisel. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best yes. name. Astrid's That's, son. Astrid. Yeah. Yeah. My very favorite name mm-hmm. in the entire show. Amazing. Yes. I am Christian. Yeah. Yep. That's an unusual combination. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting segue into, can we talk a bit about the Jewish content or lack thereof? And what what on this show constitutes Jewish content and, and what doesn't? Um, you know, a lot of it in Midge's act is stereotypical. A lot of the stuff we see with Abe and Rose and their annoyance and, oh my God, Shirley going out into the street and screaming and the screaming match she gets into with Rose in the middle of the street and she's like, we're the crazy house and we're Jews. Um, just like you so painful. You want soup? I've got potato leaf soup. I've got- so excruciating. And, you know, occasionally you get some funny jokes like Abe jokes about the fact that he can't stand that Moish is showing um, uh, uh, his grandson how to hang him as is a wrong mm-hmm. and, and things like that. But then, you know, when I'm looking for some more real Jewish content, not that that's not Jewish, but it is surfacey Jewish. It's very shallow. I, so when Midge and Joel go for their divorce, I would have loved to see, I know it was unlikely, but somebody mentioned, are they getting a get, are they getting a Jewish divorce? I just want to know. Like, I just have questions about what do they think Judaism is? And there was more talk about the connection between communism and being blacklisted in this se- this season um, than of really anything else that's Jewy. So when they go to Florida, Abe meets an old friend played by Jason Alexander, who is a former playwright who had to move to Florida after being blacklisted for being a communist. And this is another inspiration behind Abe's new revolutionary stance and why he writes that thing for the New York Times. Um, but like, what did, what did we think about how they represent Jews, Judaism, Jewish culture, or Ashkenazi culture, I should say. So I think there's one Jewy thing that happens in each season. In the first season, it was very important to get the rabbi to the house mm-hmm. or Rosh Hashanah dinner, I think. It's or Yom, maybe Kippur. It was, Yom It was Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur breakfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, second season, we had um, the, the holiday. It was, it was, no, they went to Yom Kippur services and they had a fight. That's right. That, that and was, then Tishba Av. Yes. Oh, oh, I that thought you meant later central. in the season where they had that fight in Shul, which was so embarrassing. Mm. That too. Yeah. And then season three, we have the Bris that was very mm-hmm. central. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there's always a reminder of the Jewishness that runs through the show. And I did read an article saying that they have an Orthodox consultant. I don't believe that for a hot well, second. Well, <laughs> they say that they have an Orthodox consultant who ensures that it is, um, I don't know, I'm not going to say kosher, but whatever, it, Jewishly correct really? for the time. Really? I'm going to counter that. And I'm not mad it's, at it's you, It's not my Dan. article. It's not my article. You're just the messenger. But I am going to say, if that was true, then why does she say Avraham? There's not a chet sound there. It's a hey. It's Avraham. Which In character a, said that? Mitch says it, of course. Who else is stupid enough? Mitch says that on stage. <laughs> and she's talking about our forefather, Avraham. And I was like, I wrote WTF? In my notes, because that is not how you say that. Why on earth would she say it that way? I'm offended. I was irate. Well, let's take that apart. Now, why would she say it that way? Let me think about that. Is she saying the audience isn't Jewish? They're not going to know anyway. Let me chew up this sound. sound? Probably. 
I'm going to make an extra Dewey sound for them. It's really nice that we're making explanations and excuses for this show when it doesn't deserve it, but I don't know. I have an opinion. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite ways that they express Judaism in the show is through food. Midge's brisket, season after season. Mm -hmm. And speaking of mistakes people make, you cannot cook an entire brisket in two hours (laughs) in a 375 degree oven. That shit bakes all day. And then you take it out and then you do other things and then you bake it again. Yeah, there was no way it would have been ready for dinner where the people were already there and it was not cooked. Yeah, just... No, 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 no. But you know, she's in, she's in a kitchen in Vegas and she's making dinner for everybody on tour, Mm -hmm. everybody on tour. And she's explaining and she's like, oh, we we make this for Shabbat. We make this blah, blah, blah. Have this brisket, have this brisket. It's my favorite. It's my favorite way that they express Judaism. Mm. So I, I mean, I had a favorite quote from this season. I don't know if anyone else had it, but so when Rose sort of flops in the door after this whole excruciating travel situation where she goes to see her family and then leaves. Mm-hmm. She like crumbles to the couch and Abe comes over to her and she goes, Hieronymus Bosch couldn't have conjured the world I've inhabited for the past 25 hours. And if anyone knows who Hieronymus Bosch is, the painter, go look at Google it. You'll understand that quote. But I thought that was amazing. So that was one of my favorites. Anybody else had a quote that they really liked? Kind of. I mean, like one that really sticks out to me was when she's playing or when she's performing at the Apollo and her audience is, you know, people from Harlem and it's mostly black and she's on stage and she's eating all of this amazing oh, yeah. food. And it's so funny. Pulling it out of her like dress. Yeah. Just <laughs> bow who made pocket. these? Who made these? Who made these? Um, and she finds like really beautiful moments to connect with them because she yeah. was so apprehensive to go on. So I think her set there was. Mm. Uh, I can't say the quote. But there's a scene when Susie is asked whether she would like a lemonade when she's at the pool, (laughs) where she fires off a string of expletives like I have never seen on the small screen. Uh, Actually, Blue Velvet had something like that. It was epic. And I highly recommend you watch with headphones on and check out that scene. Susie Davidson, remember the name, remember the face. <laughs> that one. <laughs> and she that tips was really remarkable. everybody. Yeah, I love that. I did love that. There was one part where I think it was the first thing I jotted down in my notes, like WTF, but it was like uh, Joel was bringing Ethan and Esther over to Midge's and Ethan's like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And he's like, yes, we're going to eat at at your mom's house and they get there and they come in and all of um, Abe's young friends are there, right? And so um, Midge is like to Zelda, take the kids, take the kids. Then literally one minute later, Zelda's like, the kids are asleep. I was like, <laughs> did they send them to bed hungry? Like, I was just like, what just happened? Like, it just really did not make sense. Poor Zelda, can I know. we just take a moment and acknowledge the, the what Zelda, Zelda has been through. Yeah, I know. And these abused children. I know. Yes. Seriously, <laughs> they all have their limbs, so it's fine. Where yeah. are they? Right, doesn't they're in the care matter. of four grandparents and who are all monsters. a loving <laughs> father. Trust one of them. Between I would not. The four of them, you have like one half of a Technically, they have childcare. <laughs> okay, so so what are we hoping comes out of next season? What do we want to see? I would like to see Susie be able to achieve some kind of financial success so that she can actually develop more as like a character in her own life. Like what does she want from life? Does she want a relationship? Like what else can she do if, if her economic burden Mm. is lifted? Cause I feel like she hasn't had the, the room to like, 
develop herself as like a person like what does she yes. like want out of life but yeah. she's so focused on like literally l- like living getting through the day right yeah. yes I totally agree with that I don't know what would be in store for her mm-hmm. and we've seen every character has been evolving more or less in, in some mm-hmm. way or another um team Lenny yeah. <laughs> all the way um I would love Lenny Bruce to have more time. I would love mm. to see their relationship develop because it has, it just, it has to, mm-hmm. it really has to. If the actor who plays Lenny Bruce could just call me, that'd be great. <laughs> Do we think Joel's club is going to be a success? I guess that depends on what success means. Yeah. For him. That <laughs> electricity problem and the gambling ring in the basement. Right. <laughs> the one thing I really enjoyed about the season was the way that current events in real life would continually creep into a narrative that otherwise is very sunny and a little bit fatuous. And it really, to me, it was um, a nice surprise to see these characters reacting to real things happening in, in their time. Um, and then the one not serious thing is I would really like Astrid to become a rabbi. Oh, amen. Baruch Hashem. Yes. I would love to watch that journey. Yeah. Something that I really loved at the end of this season was Midge and Rose get into a fight about Rose's new career as a matchmaker and how she's like trying to set up Benjamin with somebody and they have a fight and, and it comes down to Rose saying on one thing we agree, we can't be existing at the whim of the financial whims of men. Like they have to have independence and they're doing it in their own ways, but that's what they're doing. And I would really like to see more of that sort of feminist angle in the next season. Um, and that continued journey for uh, financial independence from all these men, because you can't trust them. No offense, Dan, but you can't trust men with your money. Absolutely none taken. Don't trust myself either. (laughs) But Susie trusts Joel. Which she really shouldn't have, but we can go into that later. Well, Um, yeah, I mean, I think she knows he will look out for Midge because he will love her as the mother of his children. Yes, Yes. but mm, questions. So I would love to see more feminism and I would like to see just slightly more Jewishness and not in an annoying way. But anyway, I want to thank all of you for joining me here to talk about season three of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. See you at the conclusion of season four. This definitely was something. It could have been something. It could have been something. (laughs) Okay, listeners, be sure to follow at Jewish Boston on social media and subscribe to The Vibe of the Tribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Thank you so much to Amazon Prime. I would say for me, the thing that I would love more, uh, more sirens, more ambulances. I think we would love them for the next time we record. Definitely. This room's got to go. The one thing that I really enjoyed about this season was seeing how current events and real life Mm. began to creep into a show that otherwise... You. <laughs> <laughs> God.